Jamie, it's great to have you on this morning. Thank you for joining the podcast series. Now, you joined Glenhawk, obviously, at the start of this year. I'd love to know the reasons behind you joining Glenhawk, what excites you most about the business, and what are you looking forward to over the next 12 months? Yeah, I'm really happy to be here talking to you today, so the pleasure's all mine. I um, joined Glenhawk, yeah, 1st of February, so my intentions were to take uh, quite a while out of the industry, probably six months, out of the industry, but as soon as I spoke to Guy Harrington and Nick Hilton, um, who are two of the founders of the business, um, I was just swept up by their ambitiousness, their ambitious nature of what exactly they wanted to do with the company, uh, and just take it as bridging at the core, but um, evolve into all of your areas of finance as well, buy to let, you know, and look at what we can do beyond that as well. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that we're going to be coming into buy to let. Guy, uh, myself, we've been saying that over loads of media channels recently, but it was the team and the culture. And it was just, uh, for those who've known me in the industry, know that I like building things. I like building sales teams, sales strategy. And that was all going to be my gift here at uh, Glenhawk. They had so much good infrastructure, including backing by JP Morgan. That was a massive pull. Um, they were regulated. Again, a massive pull, which uh, sets them apart from the uh, saturated market, though, which is bridging as well. So um, it was just lots of the different options and knowing where they wanted to go. Their treasury team was outstanding. Their credit team, everything about them. But what they seemed to be missing, from their words, was a sales strategy to push it forward, whether that be distribution, whether that be the training and building of a sales team itself, that was the important things that really led me to join Glenhawk. Now, to answer your question about the next 12 months, I think um, I've seen massive changes in six months of product developments we've been doing, new funding lines coming on to complement the JP Morgan line, um, and just services and processes. I'm sure you're going to ask me loads of questions about that later on, but just all these uh, marginal gain improvements that we can do just from my experience and different people's experiences that have come into the business. And, you know, you'd think I was brand new into Glenhawk only being here six months, but I think there's been another sort of 10 hires since me, you know, in sort of really big positions and important positions for us as well. So we're evolving business and that's the excitement that you get for working for a company, which is fledgling, you know, still three years old and where it just wants to double, triple, quadruple and keep on growing and book build from there. Really exciting times, Molly. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And I was going to say, Glenhawk is one of the more established lenders in the market now. But for a newer lender coming through, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges in the first year or two of trading? Yeah, I think it, there's lots of challenges. And, and, you know, we're established because of the great brand that we've had. So having a really good brand presence, which um, Gabrielle does in, in marketing for ourselves is really good. Um, and they've established that and it's the next, taking it to the next stage. So any new entrants coming in, they need a good understanding of the market because it is saturated. They need a good sort of clients and broker base. I think that they you don't need to bite off more than you can chew. So don't try and be everything to everyone as well. Really understand where you know your funding comes from and actually understand what their covenants would be of that funding as well. So not trying to give away everything that I would expect a new lender to do. But you know, lots of people listening to this will understand that. Sometimes, you know, brokers will ask, oh, why can't you lend on that? Another lender can lend on that. Well, we've all got different rules in the background. And I think I stand by the point where I never try and compare myself to other lenders. So are you trying to be more like a, you know, another lender over there? Um, 
no, I'm just trying to be better than Glenn Hall was yesterday. And I think that's the thing that I'd really recommend to anybody that ever wanted to come into this industry. Don't try and compare. Don't try and be, you know, Dolly the sheep, you know, because he can't create that. You just need to be the best that you can be. Brilliant. And you've talked a bit there about market saturation. Do you think lenders are competing predominantly on product or is it service? Both, I would say. You know, I would I'd say that you... Because product itself, there is a race to the bottom, and it seems to be with the some of the rates out there. And I want to sort of um, stand true to what we are here as a business. So we will compete on rate. We are competitive. You know, rates start from 0.65, so they are competitive itself. But we also find that if you go way too low on a rate, the service could actually suffer from that if you actually bring people in. I believe that if you have a really good service back in and a good process, so brokers can trust that they're going to get terms that you're going to stand by. They then understand the underwriters who want to talk to them and who understand their circumstances on cases, right through to a great legal um, professional panel with legals and valuers as well. That will create the repeat business. If I just went in there with rates and tried to soak in everything and just rate, then you know brokers would soon turn office and customers would as well because customers will tell the brokers not to go and use a different lender. We see that a lot out there. So it's both to answer your question. Yeah. And I think, you know, turning to brokers for a second then. So what, what, what do you think it takes to be the intermediaries lender of choice? And how do you think the industry as a whole can improve on the cooperation between lenders and brokers? Yeah, it's a really good question. So um, first of all, I wouldn't expect a broker to have just one lender of choice. I'd expect them to have quite a few lenders that they wanted to choose for the toolkit. Remember, not too many because you've got to build up that relationship with them as well. So both ways, we need to um, have trust in the broker and everything that they're sending across to us and the clients. And we, they need to trust us as well. So this is the part where, you know, we can talk about technology and we can talk about some of the high street lenders um, where actually do they need the broker sometimes? That's a controversial statement. You know, can it actually comes directly into them? Rates are below 1%. I believe bridging is based on relationship because the deals are complicated. It is specialist mm-hmm. lending that um, needs to be really understood. We need to get to the crux of it. So when they hear about our experience and, you know, lots of people within um, our business have actually used bridging as a tool themselves, we understand it. We've worked in bridging for a long time. They'll know that they are talking to the right people and can understand the cases. What I also think that needs to be from sort of the lender and the broker is not to concentrate on just the one case. So not just to think, I just need a terms and I need a case out of this broker. I think we've got a duty to educate the market and that by proxy then will create um, a more of a distribution so that brokers don't think, and some, you know, the brokers who know bridging know it as the valuable tool that it can be and a great solution to customers. Those who um, don't understand it will still think that it's bridging from 15 years ago or beyond. You know, the Wild West, as someone referred to it the other day, another lender did. Uh, And it was a bit like that. Now, the competitive nature of the market means it's not the Wild West, you know, and it should be thought of as a product that should be thought of the right product first time as well. And we can only do that through education. We can only do that through building trust with the brokers and getting out there and marketing ourselves and really getting them to understand case studies. 
I think too much of the time uh, bridging is misunderstood as just it's got one solution to it, you know, one solution and it's just quick or it's speed or it's just buy this. I could probably reel off a ton of examples of different cases that I've had across my desk this week, which are, you know, chain break scenarios on regulated um, development exits where someone wants to move on to the next project but wants to market that site and get the, the correct profit out of that site as well. You know, refurbishments. Why would you not use bridging for refurbishments when you can lend against the GDV and you can actually maximise the profit that you're going to make out of that? Why would you not use bridging if you don't want to go on a long-term loan and your exit is sale of a property? Maybe it's for business purposes and you need a cash injection into a business. You know, some businesses have been suffering, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be moving forward a really good solution and then a good um, company themselves. So, you know, that's just wheeling off some of them and tax bills, everything else. There's just lots of different ways and angles that some brokers would not even think about. Mm-hmm. You've touched on it there, actually. The next question I was going to ask you is around speed. Do you think we put too much of an emphasis on getting deals done quickly speed seems to be the operative word here do you think it should be less about speed and about something else instead i think it depends on the customer circumstances so let's break it down you know not every deal is about speed so there's different circumstances where we as a lender could be really quick in our processes and we could get you know deals out just completed on one after i think it was seven working days that just come in and you know but we need the whole process chain and the whole of that to be working with us. So we could offer on a case, but it could get stuck in legals for a long time. Or it could, you know, it could take the valuer X amount of time to come out. They may choose a different type of valuer. So when we're talking about large, large transactions as well and large loan amounts, actually you'll sometimes find from the customer that speed is not important but meeting their completion date is important. Mm. And I think that's the area, just as I would say with bridging that you need to aim for, you know, and understand the exits, a reverse engineerer case to understand it. We've also, when we get that application, need to reverse engineer from the completion date, what we need to do to aim for that. Now that could be, you know, 10 days, that could be a development Mm. project that takes a long time just to get to Mm. the point, but, Back to your last question, that's why they need to have a lender they trust. It's not going to move the goalposts at the last moment as well. That then would mean they need to find a lender to fill the gap for speed then. I see a lot of those circumstances come across Glen Hawks desks. Yeah, that's really interesting. And do you think the pandemic has changed customer expectations? So do you think borrowers have um, expectations of deals moving faster now? Or do they expect it to be more digital? What What's your take on the change there that we've seen maybe over the last 12 to 18 months? I think if um, the pandemic hasn't changed everybody, then we'd be lying, you know, and if we haven't changed, uh, even with businesses and, you know, and, and, and people using bridging on a unregulated term, it's their business, isn't it? It's a business choice that they're looking to buy something, either to flip into a buy-to-let or sell and make profit. Mm. Um, I think if we haven't learned from COVID, then uh, we haven't really done right from that. So, you know, we're on Zoom at the moment. What can we do more virtually for that? Um, what can we do to um, bring in technology that can help us? And do then the customers expect then to be able to sign things in a different mm-hmm. way? So their expectations are slightly different. What we have found the expectations of customers are is that they know there's a lot of choice out there. I think there's a lot of shopping around that uh, customers who have maybe been 
restricted by lockdowns to actually sit at home and probably do a little bit more um, virtual looking at properties rather than trailing around the sites. Mm-hmm. I think that's put a lot more pressure on customers as well too, because there's a lot more customers going for the same type of deal as well. Yeah. So I think there there is massive learns that we've taken from it. Process-wise, we, we have um, stepped up our game even further than where we were, just in line with where the customers want those deals to get through. Back to your last point, do they want it speedy? I think the biggest point that I would take away from what maybe COVID has allowed us to do, whether that be Zoom and everything else and keeping in touch with people, is communication. It's communication. Mm -hmm. So the communication right from the front end in terms to brokers and customers so they understand what that's going to be about. The communication right through the chain from the valuer the underwriter and legals. I'm buying a house at the moment and, um, you know, the communication along the chain has been different, mm. totally been different from, you know, some solicitors good, some estate agents good, some the opposite as well. And, you yeah. know, I'm sure there'll be an article about that written if I move, if I move. <laughs> well, you and me both, I'm in the similar position at the moment. And uh, I think you can have a great relationship with your broker or a great relationship with, um, your solicitor, for example, but there are so many other third parties in the mix that you're trying to control. So many different components of that of that whole chain. So yeah, completely Definitely. completely see what you're saying there. Um, do you think uh, we can expect another, well, even further changes in technology? Do you think we can see even more enhancements to make that journey for the customer and the broker even easier? I know you've talked a bit there about communication. Um, what, what, what sort of, I guess, what would be your predictions for the next year or two and how we can really help with that communication I've, across the board? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, there's massive strides that we can take as an industry and in financial services. I think, um, you know, some industries are where we, where we are now. They were there 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and then making the choices. I think financial services where it's seen as just paper-based and, you know, based on relationships and it is based on relationships, but I'm not saying the robots should take over and they definitely can't within specialist lending and bridging. It's yeah. what, how the technology can complement and um, that process. Customers are 24-7 now, you know, and they want to find out about how their legal process is getting on maybe at 11 o'clock at night when they're winding down. So the technology where you can have a portal to allow you to do that, whether it be actually, um, you know, signing a document that, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't need wet signatures anymore. Fine. You know, the ID&V and how to actually make sure that you know who the customers are. Now, would you prefer to have an administrator, nothing against administrators looking at Mm -hmm. that, or would you want the technology where you could actually hang your hat on and say, actually, I've got 99%, 100%, I know who my customer is, and I feel comfortable now as part of an underwriter. All these things will start coming in and drip fed back into bridging itself as well. And the way that I'm looking at it is um, we're we're bringing in um, a sales force itself to complement a not only um a crm type of system which will allow me to do the application system which will again help with the underwriting process itself everything's on the um on the system for us that we don't have to then you know go and trip that event over systems so that will create efficiencies in the application process but pre to that as well i want to put uh, and i am putting a portal online as well which will have calculators it'll have resources for intermediaries it'll have um, sources for 
resources for customers as well. So they can actually have a look at calculators. They can still talk to us. But again, at that 11 o'clock at night example, can they actually get the answers mm -hmm. that they want? All of that is about streamlining processes and also then utilizing um, technology to actually know who your clients are in the sense of brokers. Can I actually, you know, my last lender owns my phone book. So, you know, I've got a really good um, LinkedIn coverage, but I don't know everybody. So, you know, the ways that I can actually do that from lead generation itself, you know, and those tools that are available probably weren't even available five years ago mm -hmm. using social media. All these things are really useful for clients. And then we talk about, uh, to give you the really long answer uh, to this, is the back-end systems and how technology can really help you with that. So we've touched on the sort of customer journey and the process mm -hmm. and everything that we can help with with that. Um, but the back-end system, and we brought in Finastra with their Essence system, um, which is being uh, brought through now and it should be here and implemented in the next quarter, but that will actually help us understand our loan book. It'll actually okay. understand where we can then go for um, to our funders itself and actually other funds who may not want to lend on the next areas that we go into. A real understanding of our back book will actually help us grow quicker. Okay. So that data is really important and it'll just wash through in a cycle. So there's many angles I think technology can help, help with. And anybody who's probably resistant to this change will probably be left behind, I believe. Yeah, fantastic. Jamie, it's been a pleasure speaking with you as always. Thank you so much for answering those yep. questions for me this morning and uh, and all the best for the next year ahead. Looking forward to thank seeing you. how Glenhawk get on, but absolutely smashing it at the moment. So thank you for joining. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you ever so much. Take Cheers, care. guys.